The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Hey, hey, welcome Disability Law Show. Good to have you along for the hour. John Scholes here. Martin Willems is your guy. He is a lawyer. He's the one with the knowledge you want to reach out to. If you want to discuss your matter personally, you can do so not on air and uh, do it on your own time. It's toll free. Always that number. You know it by now. one 821 Help at disabilityrights.ca. The email address to reach out. Got a lot of those coming up here, uh, Martin. Want to get into them shortly. Always start off with the week. That was something you've been working on. What's going on in your end? Thanks, John. Yes. So this is something that we've spoken about before on many occasions, but I do want to uh, raise it again. It is the difference between appealing and what is called a limitation period. Mm. I get questions about this regularly. And the reason I'm speaking about it this morning is I spoke with somebody earlier this week um, who was from Alberta and who had made a claim with an insurance company. The insurance company requested further information. So there was a period of time that they paid benefits then requested further information to, as they worded it, that mm-hmm. would support ongoing benefits. Right. But they didn't deny the claim uh, in their communications. They just said, we need further information to pay it. Stop paying, but there was no actual denial. And carried on in this way for almost two years, which I found, you know, you don't often see that. I found it fascinating. So... Now, there's a final decision that has been made, even though benefits have been stopped being paid almost two years ago, now there's a decision that has been made that the claim is denied. So this raises concerns. It raises concerns with respect to what is the limitation period for this person. The limitation period is the timeline within which you can pursue a legal claim, excuse me, against an insurance company. That is different from the timeline that the insurance company may set out in their letter when they deny Mm. the claim saying that you've got 90 days to appeal or you've got 60 days to appeal whatever the situation may be so when you're not dealing with this on a regular basis you may not understand what is the difference between you've got this amount of time to submit an appeal and there's something called a limitation period quite often insurance companies don't advise people what the actual limitation period is they simply say there's a limitation period that is running, you should be aware of it, and go consult your insurance act. Now, if you're not a lawyer, and if you're not dealing with insurance, how on earth would you know what that means? How on earth would you know where to go look for it? You can look at the insurance act, that is a document with sometimes a thousand pages long, depending on the province. So, in this claim that I'm discussing, because they never actually denied the claim, Uh, There is an argument to be made that we're still within a time to pursue a legal claim here. But the message that I want to get across to people listening is if you get a denial letter from an insurance company or if the insurance company simply stops paying you benefits and says, we need further information, that is the time that you should reach out to a lawyer who handles and who specializes, who focuses at least, Mm -hmm. on disability claims. Because... You need to know and you need to understand what the limitation period is. If you engage in that appeal process, which many people do, they think that's the way to go. They think it is a 
bona fide, you know, a good faith approach that they're going to take. They trust that the insurance company will approve their claim. In some instances, that may happen. Many times it does not. But you need to know that once you start doing that, the limitation period, in other words, the timeline within which you can pursue a legal claim, started to run when they denied that claim or when they paid the final benefit. And it runs continuous, whether you're in, uh, participating in an appeal or right. not. So it's crucial that you understand this. So if they do deny your claim, or if they stop paying your benefits, phone our office. We've got lawyers who will represent people throughout Canada, other than in Quebec and the territories. We can look at the denial letter and then have a discussion with you, so that at least you know. You can make your own decision as to what you want to do, whether you want to engage in the appeal process, or whether you want to pursue a legal claim. Of course, we're always favoring the legal claim because the appeal processes mean that yep. you're appealing to the <laughs> same entity who denied your claim. So why would they approve it? But, you know, sometimes they do. But you need to know what your options are and you need to know what dates you need to document because if you're pursuing the appeal, you need to note it down knowing when you need to file a legal claim. Because sometimes as well, as in this, this case, the person continued to provide further evidence, further evidence, and that happens with appeals as well. I've seen people do this. They've engaged in three appeals. And then the time that they came to us, when they said, finally, okay, there's no more option to appeal, the limitation period had run out. And yeah. that means that they couldn't pursue a legal claim. So again, I'm repeating myself, if there is a denial, reach out to us so we can explain to you what your options are, because it's crucial that you know and you can make an informed decision as to how to proceed further. And again, like I said off the top, to reach out to Martin and his team, one uh, 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. Okay, first email of the show is coming up right here. It says, uh, I have critical care insurance. I have to satisfy two out of five criteria to qualify. I'm having cognitive issues and have difficulty with bladder control. How do I apply for this insurance? It covers me for 60 months. I should also add that I'm about uh, about to be uh, housed in a care facility where I will need to pay a portion of the monthly fee, and I need this insurance for that as well. I expect that I will require assistance with my activities of daily living. The issue was that at age 78, I was still quite functional and used to drive around and do volunteer work, but have declined rapidly since last year, 2002. I purchased this insurance decades ago. Wow. What do you think about that, Martin? Okay, so it's a good thing that we're speaking about this as well. Because first thing I will say is, we don't just handle disability files. We also handle critical illness, uh, mortgage insurance, life insurance cases, and as you can see in this case, this is a question about critical care insurance. Mm -hmm. This is the type of insurance that you would purchase that if later in life or earlier, depending if you get very sick, you need assistance, critical care assistance. This benefit pays out a certain sum of money every month, a monthly benefit, and it quite often is limited to a period of time. In cases like this, the policy will require that there are five criteria, and out of the five, you may have to qualify for two of them, and it may be that you have to show you have cognitive decline, um, you cannot bathe yourself anymore and take care of your activities of daily living, you need help with eating, etc. And the ones that I've seen denied is similar to this where the person is still quite functional. I've seen ones where the, people, where the person continue to work beyond the age of 70. And in this case, the person was still doing that, was mm -hmm. doing volunteer work. So the insurance company may look at this and say, okay, well, 
clearly you're still very functional, you need to get to a point where you actually need assistance in order to qualify for this benefit. Right. So what I would suggest here is you do apply, you go to your doctor and you have your doctor complete a form which you can get from the insurance company and that form will detail what can you do and what can you not do. And remember the focus here is to qualify that you have to indicate that you cannot do at least two of those five criteria. Um, in other words, if there's cognitive decline, maybe there's some MRI, maybe there's a CT scan that would show that, or that you would have done some form of assessment with a doctor. And if you have difficulty with bladder control, that already is one of those criteria. Um, so the doctor can give evidence and give support as to what are the things that you cannot do. And of course, if they do deny you, then you reach out to us because we definitely will be able to assist. And these are the types of cases that we do get involved in as well. Even if it's a decades ago policy, right? As this person yeah, laid it, it, yeah. Exactly, because the policy was purchased many years ago, decades ago. They continue to pay a premium every month. As long as the policy is in place, that allows you to apply for the benefits. Remember, there's a difference between coverage and payment of benefits. Coverage okay. is something that you apply for. So you purchase a policy and you pay a monthly premium if that's you doing it as an individual. If you're employed with an employer, the employer will have a group policy and either they will deduct from your income premiums that they will pay or right. the employer will pay the premiums themselves. As long as you have coverage, and in other words, as long as those premiums are paid and you do become disabled or you do qualify for something like this, credit or insurance, you can apply. The coverage gives you the right to apply. Then it gets to the point then, are you going to be approved or not? Because right. that's something different. So there's a difference between being paid benefits and having coverage. The coverage simply gives you the right to apply. Again, guys, the email address anytime for Martin and his team. It might appear on this show at a later date, too, maybe today. Help at disabilityrights.ca is how you uh, chime in and ask your questions. They will be answered uh, rather swiftly. Uh, next one says, Martin, I was diagnosed with the myalgic encephalomyelitis. Wow, tell me you're a doctor without telling me you're a doctor. I can't believe I got through that. Uh, <laughs> recently, anyway, uh, it had taken a long time to get the diagnosis. I used to be very active and then crashed. At first, I thought I had the flu, but as time went by, I realized something else was at play. Uh, I have very little energy. I used to do a bit of content writer. Now I have difficulty doing any computer work for more than 30 minutes a day. I was told there's no objective measure and that I should be seeing a psychiatrist. I'm so upset with this. I do not have a mental health disorder. This condition is real. If I'm denied, what options do I have? Well, I feel quite strongly about these types of cases. And what options you have, you get on the phone with us and you contact us. That's mm -hmm. the first thing I'm going to say. So I'm jumping right to the conclusion, but I want to speak a little bit more about what's happening here. So, and you did a great job, by the way. <laughs> Thank uh, you. <laughs> pronouncing that name. So it's myalgic encephalomyelitis as if you want to just abbreviate it, it's ME. It's okay. also known, some people, and people get worked up about this sometimes as well, it's chronic fatigue or chronic fatigue syndrome. There are other types of names for it too. It is when you have profound fatigue and with that comes brain fog or widespread pain, it quite often runs hand in hand with people who have fibromyalgia. So over the years that I've handled disability cases, I've seen this come up a lot. Um, where these types of cases are denied. And the reason why they're denied is the insurance company may say to you, we understand that you are subjectively reporting that you have these symptoms, but objectively, we do not see it like we would see it on a CT scan or an mm -hmm. MRI scan, where for MS, for example, you can see the lesions on the brain or the spine. ME, you don't necessarily see it, but it is a very real condition. 
and there's a lot more research being done these days on these cases. Uh, I still see them denied now and again, and we definitely assist people with ME cases. It takes some time to get the diagnosis because quite often it's a diagnosis by exclusion, but there are doctors who are extremely qualified in treating, assessing, and helping patients who live with ME. And getting to see them also takes time. So it's a very difficult thing for somebody who has this, trying to navigate the medical system, and then also trying to get the insurance company to accept their claim. If there is a denial, please reach out to us. I've represented, and I know other people in my firm have represented like the clients with ME on many occasions. It is a real condition. I understand also why this person is very upset that, there's being, that they're being referred to as a psychiatrist or there's a suggestion that they should see a psychiatrist. It's not a mental health disorder. Um, and if you go online, you can look at the research that has been done. There was this perception many years ago. It has changed. And for anybody to still be suggesting this, it's unfortunate. But make sure that you follow your doctor's treatment advice. Make sure that you see your doctor on a regular basis. Make sure that your doctor refers you out if your doctor feels that they don't have the necessary expertise to assist with treating your condition. There are clinics around all over in BC. I know there's the BC, through BC Women's, there's a complex chronic diseases program. Mm -hmm. And not better, there are very qualified doctors as well in clinics who help people with ME. So if you have ME or if you have fibromyalgia or any other unfortunate the way that they describe it, invisible illness or subjective condition, and the insurance company denied your case. And this goes the same thing for mental health disorders like anxiety, depression, etc. If they deny your claim because they say there's no objective measure or there's no objective medical evidence, you reach out to us because we will tell you how to approach that and we can tell you how we can help you with navigating the system and getting you the compensation that you should be entitled to. And with that, we'll get into our first break and get right back to lots more. In the meantime, I'll give you contact information going forward anytime, one 821 5900 to reach out to Martin and the team and the email address, help at disabilityrights.ca. This is the Disability Law Show, and we'll continue in a moment. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. You bet this is a disability law show. The lawyer always here answering your questions. Martin Willems, you can reach out to Martin anytime. Representing uh, BC, uh, Alberta as well. We do some work there and, of course, Ontario too and uh, pretty much all across the country. For the most part, uh, disability law number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. help at disabilityrights.ca. And we're into our uh, our emails. Martin, some of them are lengthy, some of them are shorter, so let's get into a short one. It says, uh, Martin, can an insurance company, or should I say when does the insurance company, cut off your LT benef- LTD benefits without notice? Well, can they do that? Uh, they do all types of things. Uh, should they <laughs> yeah. do that? <laughs> no, they shouldn't. Um, have I seen that happen? I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, not many times, uh, I'll, I'll be frank about that. Uh, normally, and the usual course of how this works is the insurance company would put in writing that they are denying your claim or that they are terminating your benefits if you have been paid, and they should put out the reasons as to why they do that. And when I get contacted by potential clients, I would say 90% plus will have a denial letter where the insurance company did deny them, did explain why they were being denied. So in a situation like this where the question is, can an insurance company cut off your LTD benefits 
without any notice. They really shouldn't be doing that. And further to what we started up um, speaking about this morning, if an insurance company terminates your benefits and they don't tell you about it, obviously you're going to find out about some point because yeah. you're not getting any money anymore. But the fact that they haven't told you about it means also that they did not tell you about the running of the limitation period because that should be put in writing. They should tell you about it. The legislation now requires insurers to tell you about the running of the limitation period, which is something that was not always required. Pre-2012, insurance companies didn't have that duty. Now they have, and the reason for that is many people would engage in the appeal process not knowing that the limitation period continued to run, and then it would run out and they would be without a claim because they couldn't pursue a legal claim. So in this instance, if the insurance company simply terminated your benefits, didn't tell you about it, I would say add to that, they didn't tell you about the running of the limitation period, which then means that it didn't start to run if you look at the legislation and the regulations here in BCN and Alberta. But should they do that? Of course they shouldn't. If they did do that, if they cut off your benefits and didn't tell you why, sound like a broken record this morning, but contact us yep. and we can tell you how to approach that because there definitely is something you can do about it. Okay, moving on. Again, that email address anytime. Maybe your email will appear on a future show. We'd love to have you contribute uh, on a weekly basis, right? Help at disabilityrights.ca. Sky's have been off work since uh, December 2020 and have been on LTD since March 30th to 21. I've been diagnosed with PTSD due to a traumatizing work incident, mood disorder, anxiety, and depression from both my doctor and through an IME that the insurers suggested I do. After the IME, my long-term disability was given an early extension past the two-year mark as I was deemed unable to work at any occupation. Since then, my insurance advisor has changed again. This is about the fifth or sixth time. And this person is calling me more frequently and asking uh, asking me about uh, returning to work. Recently, out of the blue, she told me she wanted uh, me to participate in OT through them. I told her I didn't want to do this, and my doctor or any other insurance agent has never suggested that before. She alluded that I was obligated to participate in whatever treatment they suggest. Is it true they can force me to do any treatment? I feel like she's trying to force me back into a back-to-work uh, track against my will. The pressure I feel from her is increasing my anxiety and not helping my recovery in any way. Wow, that's not nice. No, it's not nice, and it must be, as this person says, extremely stressful. Um, unfortunately, I have seen situations like this as well. Uh, quite often, you would have, if a person is on claim for the example here, at least for two years at least, uh, and now are going beyond that, the case managers have changed. So they may be moving to a different role, or just a new person was appointed. Then somebody new comes into play, and this person is now looking at the file differently and is now pushing for this person to go into a work-harding program or getting an occupational therapist involved to see what can be done to get them back to work. The fact that they approved the claim beyond the own occupation phase, in other words, into the any occupation phase, was encouraging, is encouraging, to now take a different route. Does it mean that the insurance company cannot do that? Unfortunately, they can because your obligation under the policy is to continue to pr uh, prove that you cannot work in any other occupation. For example, if your condition were to uh, improve, you find that you get better treatment, your condition slowly improves to the point that you can go back to work, they're not going to continue to pay you if you are able to work. So the fact that you were approved beyond the own occupation period is a good thing but it doesn't mean that they will just continue to pay you without 
ongoing proof. Now the question here is, can the insurance company force you to participate in any treatment that they say you must? The policy will provide that you have an obligation as the person making the claim to participate in appropriate treatment. Does that mean any treatment that the insurance company is suggesting or um, insisting you do? No, it doesn't. They will say to you, our policy allows us to have you participate in treatment that is appropriate to your condition, in our opinion, and that would allow you to get back to work. Most policies do say that, but how do they find that that is the appropriate treatment? So I think what we would want to know here is, who is suggesting this? It shouldn't be coming from the case manager. It should be coming from some medical professional. And has an independent medical examination been done again that would suggest that this is the way to proceed? They already have an IME in place. Did that doctor suggest this? And if that doctor did not suggest this, where is this coming from? So I would have serious questions as to whether it is appropriate for this person to engage in this type of treatment or to go down this road especially if they do have the support of the family doctor, maybe a treating psychiatrist, maybe a treating psychologist, that this is not appropriate for their condition. Putting the person through this may lead to an exacerbation or a worsening of their condition. It already is clear that the in increased pressure from this adjuster or case manager is increasing this person's anxiety, which obviously is not going to, as they say, help with any recovery. To yeah. the contrary, it may actually set them back where the recovery process may take a much longer period of time, which ultimately is also not going to serve the insurance company, right? So do not just blindly follow what they're saying. Clearly they're not. Speak to your doctor. Find out from the insurance company where is this coming from. And again, reach out to us because we can assist you as to what steps you should take. Getting in touch with your doctor, though, is crucial because you need to have your doctor on board. And if the doctor maybe writes a letter saying what you are suggesting, insurance company, is not appropriate for this patient and to the contrary may lead to a worsening, that in itself is very powerful. I always tell people to follow their doctor's advice. Now, if the doctor said, I think it's appropriate, then that's a different situation. But it doesn't sound like that is the situation no. here. So yeah. if, if, if you do run into problems here, and if they keep insisting, and if the pressure mounts, you really should be speaking to us so we can help you as to how to proceed here. And I'll give you that number again in between the emails here, one 821 Keep it with you. Spread it around for others that need it. You can just put them in contact with Martin and his, uh, and his team. Uh, next email roll down here it says guys currently on long-term disability and I'm getting paid uh, and I'm getting paid incorrectly because my place of work will not tell them how much I was making before I went off I was a special it was a special position that no longer exists and was given a weekly guarantee for income my employer has stopped responding to my inquiries to get things fixed is there anything I can do also my insurance provider is now asking me to do a return to work program yet has not given them any of my medical records or restrictions that I have from a doctor Okay, so two questions. And the first one is an interesting one. So this person feels that they are not being paid the correct long-term disability benefit right. because the employer is refusing to advise the insurance company how much they were earning, which doesn't really make sense to me because the insurance company is ultimately paying them. So the insurance company must have some indication as to what this person was earning in order to pay them the LTD benefit amount. But if there is a dispute... I think speak to the insurance company and tell them this is the concern. 
I feel that I was being paid more and the insurance benefit should be higher. Now, you're, you may run into a problem here as well because the policy will provide that the LTD benefit is calculated on your insured earnings. That means the premium that was being paid is based on a certain defined insured earnings. So for some people, it may be that they have commission or bonuses that they feel should be included. If the policy doesn't allow for bonuses and commissions oh, to be included, then that's not going to be your income. The fact that the employer isn't assisting here is also of concern. And I would suggest that you reach out to our firm because we also have employment lawyers who deal with employment issues. And if the employer is refusing to participate in providing information to your detriment, that may be deemed to be you know, something respect to the employment relationship that should be further explored. So speak to one of our employment lawyers. We're fortunate to have them at our firm. Um, to see whether anything else can be done there. And also put pressure on the insurance company so that the insurance company can tell you this is the insured earnings. And if there's a dispute as to what you were earning, maybe you can also provide the insurance company with a pay stub that you had right. to show it that there's a difference. So there are things that can be done here. Um, it also says my insurance provider is now asking me to do a return to, return a to work. Yeah. Yeah, yet has not given yet has not given them any medical records or restrictions that I have from a doctor. Similar to the previous question uh, or email, always follow your doctor's advice. If a return to work program is suggested, but no question has been posed to the treating physician as to what the restrictions and limitations are, and your doctor still supports that you cannot work in an, even in an accommodated position, have your doctor reduce that to writing put into the letter why it is that you remain unable to perform the duties of your own occupation, what are the restrictions and limitations. Remember, it's always important to speak about restrictions and limitations. A disability claim is more so about functional impairment than it is about the ultimate diagnosis. So if you have, for example, a mental health disorder, what is it that you cannot do? If you've got an inability to focus, concentrate, multitask, comprehend new information, right. if you have panic attacks, things like that, Put it into a letter from the doctor and have the doctor explain why those things would prevent you from performing the duties of your own occupation. Submit that to the insurance company and if they're still insisting that you do a graduated return to work, ask them, where's this coming from? Who, who, who suggested that I do this yeah. and on what basis? Yeah. And if they deny you and force you, same as with every other question, reach out to us and we'll assist you. Uh, next email on down we go. Appreciate all these emails, by the way, people. If you've managed to uh, send one in today, if not, you can always reach out afterwards and uh, make that phone call um, to Martin and his team. Anyway, in fact, you want we'll take a break before I get to the next one because it's a it's a little lengthy. I know we're gonna dig into it pretty deeply here. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred to reach out to Martin and his team. There's also the option freely and anonymously of mydisabilityquestions.com. You can ask your questions in there. And the next email I'm going to get to came from this address, which you can use help at disabilityrights.ca. That is on the way more of the Disability Law Show. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And back with more of the Disability Law Show. Martin Willems is your guy. Reach out at the firm to get some uh, some answers. Have a chat. It won't cost you anything to pick up a phone and ask some questions. one 821 5900 Help at disabilityrights.ca. 
Here's uh, our next email. Uh, Martin, let's get to this one. It says, guys, can I request another independent medical examiner from my insurance? The one they sent me to wouldn't listen to me. And he has many negative reviews on multiple platforms. He also contradicts what my family doctor and chiropractor have stated. Wow. Interesting. So uh, I see family doctor and chiropractor, so it sounds like this is a physical disability. Um, can you request another independent medical examiner? I'm not sure if that's the way that I want to approach this. Um, they may send you to somebody who's similar and who does the same thing. Uh, and it seems that you do have the report from this doctor because it says um, he contradicts what your family doctor and the chiropractor have stated. I would take this report from the independent medical examiner if, if the doctor doesn't already have it. Give it to the doctor. If you have any other specialists involved in your treatment plan, for example, if you're seeing a pain doctor or a physiatrist, um, the chiropractor can also maybe weigh in here. But I think it's crucial that your doctor reviews this report and then put in writing what they suggest and what, what they disagree with. Um, requesting a further IME, I'm not sure is the way to proceed. And whether the insurance company would actually agree to that is another question. If, if they now have an IME report from somebody who they paid a few thousand dollars for, yeah, exactly. Uh, and that report supports that you may no longer be disabled, I don't see how they're going to now go out and get another one because they will feel that this is independent from their perspective and that they're going to rely on what that doctor says. So if this leads towards a denial, you're going to have a problem. And I don't see the insurance company agreeing to a second one. Your doctor can weigh in, as I said before, and put in writing why they disagree with what the independent medical examination said. But this may lead towards a denial. The reason I say that, I'm not trying to sound pessimistic here, is once the insurance company has gone down this road and they've paid, and these reports could cost a lot of money, right, a few thousand dollars. Once they've done that and now they have a report from that person, this examiner, supporting that you may no longer meet the definition of disability within your policy, quite likely, very likely, this is going to lead to a denial. They're not going to put any further money out there now to disprove somebody who they just paid money for to give. Oh yeah. Reason. So I don't see that happening at all, um, and that may then just lead to a denial because they're going to say we have now an opinion from somebody who is independent. It's not on your side. It's not on our side. He just says that you cannot work, or sorry that you can go back to work. So they're probably going to rely on that, and this is where many cases do get denied. I speak, to, and not just me. People in my firm. We speak to people all throughout Canada, other than Quebec about these types of issues. Somebody may have attended an IME, the insurance company is now denying the claim. And they feel overwhelmed, sometimes defeated, sometimes they feel that there's nothing that they can do. But there is. You can pursue a legal claim as well, right? There's a way to pursue with this and then make sure that you do get compensation that you're entitled to. And when we get involved in cases, if there is an IME in place and we pursue a legal claim here, we also are in a position to have our clients assessed by an independent medical examiner. Or we can get a report from the family physician or from the treating specialist, right? You also mm -hmm. want to make sure that you have the best arsenal when you go into a legal claim to fight the insurance company foot by foot, right, step by step. If they've got an IME, you can get one as well. So it's not that when they have it, everything ends. That's just the beginning, and we will help you with that fight. 
Yeah, it's it's not like just asking for a different adjuster if you're getting harassed. I mean, there's no money to be put out there. That they can do. But, yeah, like you've said, they spent money in this. They've got the answers they want. <laughs> We're not going to do another one. Why would we? Yeah. yeah, I don't see that happening at all. Having yeah. said that, uh, never know, I think right? we should, yeah, we never know. We would want more information. So yeah. I would strongly suggest that you contact us. Uh, another email says, guys, I'm on LTD. I've been away from work for two years. While away, the insurance company my employer uses has changed. If I return to work, will I be covered for future claims with the new insurer? What if I changed jobs and went off again? How would that impact things? This has got to be a pretty common worry for people, I would imagine. I think it is a common worry, and it, right. I, I have seen this happen. So first things first, he's been away. This person has been away for two years. During that time frame, the employer changed. And now they've got a new insurance company in place. If you do go back to work, will you have coverage under the new plan? I suppose is what the question is. You should, because it. But I think the coverage will only kick in once you get back to work. Um, will this mean then that if you go off again, that you will have coverage? It should be grandfathered. The only potential concern that somebody could ask, I suppose, about is, well, if you go off work again within the first year of having coverage, will that be deemed to be a pre-existing condition if it's due to the same reason? That could be a valid concern, but it shouldn't be that. If the policy is just replaced, there shouldn't be an interruption in coverage, and the new policy should grandfather in all the previous policy's terms. That's what we would expect. Um, what if I changed jobs and went off again? How would that impact things? I'm not sure what that means. What if I changed jobs? So if you changed employer, in other words, if that's what this means, if you go from one employer to go to a different employer and then you go off again, there definitely you have to make sure that you know what the policy says. If you go to a new employer, for example, there may be a three month probationary period before coverage kicks in, in other words, before you have your LTD coverage under that new policy. And if you go off work within the first year of having that new coverage, pre-existing conditions are one of the big reasons insurance companies deny people when they go off work because in the first year, because the policy may provide that if it is due to the same issue, clearly you've had that um, quite recently leading up to this, um, that the pre-existing condition may be triggered. That is something we have discussed many, many times before, mm -hmm. and it is quite complicated. I will try and say just a few brief things about this. Pre-existing condition exclusions in a policy usually is triggered, at least the investigation is triggered, if you go off work within the first year of having coverage. So that's, that's the first thing. Then you have to look at what is the pre-existing condition definition. It may simply be that if you had treatment for a condition that is directly or indirectly linked to your disability during the first three months of having coverage or in the preceding three months before having coverage, then it's pre-existing. We need to see what it says in the policy because many of them, even though the person may have had this disability going on and off, on and off, on and off, it may not be deemed to be a pre-existing condition because it is a defined term in the policy. Wow. So if they do deny your claim based on a pre-existing condition, you really, really need to have us review that with you because it may not be a pre-existing condition. Even though the insurance company would love for it to be, it probably isn't, depending on the definition in that policy. One more tiny break. We'll get back to our last few emails here with our uh, remaining time. And uh, you can send one along, help at disabilityrights.ca and the phone number, too. 
1-855-821-5900 to reach out uh, along the same lines. Take a short break and more. The Disability Law Show is on the way. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Back with the disability loss. You'll love the emails today. Appreciate you sending one along if you've had yours on air read out. Uh, congrats. If not, keep them coming. We, uh, we get to it each week. Uh, yours may appear on a future show. You can also make the phone call to Martin and his team, one 821 5900 always up for a uh, always up for a chat with you uh email says this uh, martin hi there i'm applying for long-term disability with my group insurer i have vestibular dysfunction causing frequent falls chronic severe migraines and recent diagnosis with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue i've done three rounds of physio i see a chiropractor osteopath regularly i've developed anxiety and depression as i haven't had any improvement for one year I see a psychotherapist and hopes to learn coping strategies. I've seen a neurologist, rheumatologist, and ENT. I fear many of my symptoms are subjective, although I've had an MRI, CT, x-rays, all been negative. Do I have any chance of being approved? What can I do to improve those chances? Uh, This is all due to a virus I had in July of 2022, developed vestibular neuritis. Thanks for the answer. Wow. Wow. Okay, so when you ask, do you have any chance to be approved? Yes. And if not, you definitely have a claim from what I can figure out. Um, There's a multitude of comorbid conditions here, right? So it's migraines, severe, they're chronic, vestibular dysfunction, meaning the person has dizziness and they're not on balance, right? It affects people being just being able to sit at a desk and look at a computer screen. On top of that, fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue as well. And now, understandably, having anxiety also have been seen by so many different specialists people and in ancillary physicians like chiropractor osteopath physiotherapist um, psychotherapist but also a neurologist a rheumatologist an ENT specialist and have had many investigations MRI CT x-ray this goes back to what I was saying earlier on the results have all been negative because lots of these symptoms are deemed to be subjective. In other words, you can say to the doctor, I experience all these things. It goes back to what I was saying with respect to the myalgic encephalitis, and you can see this person has chronic fatigue, so these things go hand in hand. Um, but you cannot see it on an x-ray or an MRI or a CT scan. Clearly, they are doing everything that they can to get better. Right? Seeing a chiropractor, osteopath, Nobody chooses to be in this position where they cannot work. The LTD benefit is less than the amount that they would have made had they been working. So why would anybody just say, I'm not going to go back to work, I'm going to take time off, not receive any money, just so that an insurance company can pay me maybe 60 or 75, 67% of my previous income. So these concerns are very real. And if they don't approve your claim, because they may say, well, we don't see that there's any objective findings here. Like I said earlier on, I feel passionate about these cases because these are the people who often get prejudiced, right? They often feel that they they don't get heard, sometimes even the medical system, but often in this context where they're trying to make a claim, they're struggling, it's overwhelming, it's difficult to get the proper treatment, and then they are denied. They get defeated, they get anxious, they get depressed. So please, if they do deny your claim, reach out to us and we can discuss with you how to proceed here. But there definitely is a claim. Don't for one moment think that you cannot proceed with a claim. 
you must. And the number to uh, reach out, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Let's uh, let's keep it rolling, pal. Next email says, guys, I've been on LTD since 2019 due to severe depression. My psychiatrist suggested that I find a job or volunteer opportunity nearby for positive structure, like minimum wage and less than 12 hours per week. My benefits booklet, uh, booklet instructs what is not covered. We will not pay benefits for any period that you do uh, any work for wage or for profit except as approved by the insurer. Does asking the insurer if I can do this minimal work or my doctor's recommendation jeopardize that LTD coverage? I'm concerned if I ask, they will think I'm capable of working full-time and cancel my uh, coverage. Kind of a catch-22 for this one, right? You know, it it is. And I, when I read this and I saw, because this person is literally quoting from the booklet, which is from the policy, I read that provision. I know exactly which policy is this. This is. I know exactly which insurance company. Really? Because I have seen this many times. And you don't want to be, be careful. You have to be careful here. Because if you do go th- down that road of participating in some of work and you don't tell the insurance company, they can rely on this. And they very likely will say, well, you did this. You didn't tell us, so we're going to deny your claim. If you did tell the insurance company that this is what you want to do. And remember, there, there are two things being said here. It's find a job or volunteer opportunity. So if you volunteer, you're not working for profit, right? So that's a different issue. But it also may be that if your psychiatrist is suggesting this, it may be that that is noted in the clinical records of the psychiatrist in any event. And once the insurance company gets that, they may raise that with you. So your psychiatrist is suggesting that you do this. But I fully understand the concern here because it may be the moment you say, well, can I do this? They may think, okay, well, if you do this, maybe we're going to get involved and push you to do some form of treatment so that we can get you to a place where you are ready to return to work. It is a difficult thing because on the one hand, you are expected to follow through with your doctor's treatment advice. On the other hand, you're concerned that if you do do that, that the insurance company is going to look at that and say that your claim may be denied because you may become able to work full-time. I think the the way to proceed here is speak with the psychiatrist, get some clarity as to what is being suggested, and then maybe do tell the insurance company that because they may find out ultimately as well. And do it on the basis that the psychiatrist is very much involved here, and if at all there is any worsening if you do engage in this return, well not return to work, if you do some form of volunteer opportunity, etc. And if you find a worsening, you report that to the doctor because that itself may support your position that you are not ready to go back to work. You did try what the doctor suggested and your condition worsened and you reported it to the doctor. So you can rely on that later on if there were to be a denial. If you're able to just do some of this, you know, follow your doctor's treatment advice is what we always say. Yeah. But if they did go down the road that you're concerned that they may go down on, if they do deny you, get the psychiatrist involved, have a discussion with us, and we can assist, as I say to you, basically every question this morning, because we can. Yep. And we'll uh, pretty much wrap it up for a, uh, another show there. Martin, excellent work as always, answering everything. Of course, you want to continue on the conversation with Martin and his uh, team. They're always ready to have that conversation. It's help at disabilityrights.ca. You want to do that in private. Uh, you have the option of mydisabilityquestions.com. That's a free and anonymous website to ask your questions. Searchable database, by the way, so you can look to see if a question like yours has been uh, thrown up there previously. And then finally, the phone number, always, right? one 821 5900 And we'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show.
The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.